Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Hello and welcome to From the Diamond right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley alongside Corey McCartney. As we take our, our debut voyage, our maiden voyage, our debut show, all of those things, Corey, I'm excited to be doing this alongside you. Of course, we've been a double play combination over at SB Nation for battery power here since last fall, and this is a whole new venture for us, and I guess what's old is new again for me. That's right. We've been turning double plays like Dansby and Ozzy for a while, so, you know, bringing it to the airwaves now. Yeah, very excited to do that. We turn them, I think, as well as anybody does, and we're going to have a lot to talk about for Dansby, for Ozzy, and everything that the Braves were doing over the weekend because they got themselves, I think, a very important series win. We're going to dive into all of that. We're going to talk about everything that's going on with the Atlanta Braves each and every week here on From the Diamond, the biggest stories, the debates, all of the things, and you know, all of the feedback and, and stuff that we provide, I think, along the way on social media and the things we've been doing uh, for battery power and for just, I think, years and years. I mean, Corey, you and I met each other in 2012, so this is certainly something that's familiar for us. And I think for Braves fans, it's going to be an awful lot of fun because both of us have been around this team for a long time, and we enjoy talking about the Atlanta Braves baseball club. And we've been through some ballparks. We've been through some managers. and Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, man, let's do this. All right. Well, I'm very excited about that. I want to let you know you can follow me on Twitter at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can follow Corey on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. You can follow the show at From the Diamond underscore. And, of course, you need to be following 92.9 The Game at 92.9 The Game. Pretty simple there. We're going to dive into this show with something we like to call This Week in Braves Baseball. And let's lead off with the best news. I mean, the news of the hour, Corey. Braves with a convincing win over the first-place Brewers, 9-2 to the final scores. They slugged their way to this win. Ronald Acuna Jr. showing up, showing out. William Contreras with a big day and a much-needed start for Charlie Morton. A lot of good stuff happened on this Sunday, Mother's Day, for the Atlanta Braves as they take two out of three from one of the best clubs in baseball. Yeah, without question. I mean, you, you win a series against the first-place Brewers. That was their first against a team that currently has a winning record. Yeah. Uh, they're now 7-7, seven seven, by the way, against teams that are above five hundred. And it wasn't this, just that they won two, two of these games, right? Max Freed dealt. Yep. Charlie Morton had a start that you needed him to have after, you know, what was the worst five-start stretch that he's had in the last five years. Looked like the Charlie Morton of old. Uh, the offense erupted. You know, we talked before about, you know, that end of that Mets series and finding those positives, carrying those in and trying to build off of them. And, you know, a nine-run outburst against a really good Brewers pitching staff uh, was absolutely that. It really was. And I think this was just back-to-back. I felt like Saturday was maybe the most complete Braves win of the year. It wasn't slugging your way to victory, hitting a bunch of home runs and scoring a whole bunch of runs in one inning. That usually doesn't happen on a day that Corbin Burns pitched. And it didn't happen on Saturday. But you had Max Fried matching him pitch for pitch into the middle innings. You had Ronald Acuna Jr. providing the lift for the Braves. You had great defense going on in that game. And if there's any time for it, I think that no, what better time than now for the Braves to start getting some breaks with the balls that they put in play. They got some of that going for them on Saturday. And all of that just felt like 
maybe the most complete win for them, and it just carried right over into Sunday as they take the series. Well, you and I have talked about this before, right? You had what was considered the easiest April in terms yeah. of strength of schedule, and you get out of it five games back and two games under five hundred. So you, you needed some point where you were going to start to turn things around. And I, and I, I think – you know, last year everyone was talking about August fourth, and mm-hmm. it was 115 games to get mm-hmm. above 500, and that was a turning point. Maybe we look back at that game against the Mets, where they finally put it together offensively, get Acuna back, and he's now looking. I mean, not just back, like back, back. Right. And and that's the opportunity where you start to build upon something where you say, okay, this is the team that we thought we were going to see, not the one that struggled through a really easy April schedule. Yeah, and when we talk about that April schedule, I mean, I hate to bring that up here, coming off of a big win like this is against the Brewers, but and then again, building off of splitting that series with the Mets, things could have gone very wrong in New York after getting swept in that doubleheader. If they had lost that series, that would have cost them another, what, two full games in the standings had they lost that game. So they're able to kind of buy one back, come back, do some damage control, then, as you mentioned, the schedule's going to get pretty tough going forward, or as we're going to talk about, the schedule's getting pretty tough. But you have these missed opportunities left out there on the board for not beating a team like the Rangers on the recent road trip, for not being able to beat a team like the Nationals that's had a lot of trouble winning baseball games this year, and nobody's had it worse than the Cincinnati Reds, and the Braves weren't able to win a series against them either to start the season. So it just felt like the Braves were, in some ways, not necessarily p- playing up to their lofty expectations, but might have been playing down a little bit in some of those series and not being able to take advantage of what was, as you did say, was a pretty statistically favorable schedule in April. Yeah, two of the Reds' five wins have come against the Braves. <sighs> I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 40% of their wins came That's against right. the World Champs. You know, and, I mean, from that end, I mean, it, it feels even worse. But I, I almost, you know... I almost wonder how much this team just was was waiting for that spark, you know, mm-hmm. waiting for Acuna to get back and, and provide that. I mean, we, you know, they, I'm sure they were all watching the workout videos just as much as we were, seeing oh, sure. how how much this guy was just, you know, I mean, he it was electricity every time he was putting in work. He was he was ready to go, uh, and you know, just waiting for him to get back and, and be that spark atop this lineup. You know, Ozzy Albies did a fine job at sure. leadoff in the, in the in the interim, but he, it's just a different monster with Ronald Acuna Jr. out there and. You know, certainly Matt Olson's gone through his his struggles of late. He had a, he had a nice day today, uh, a bit of a lull there after a hot start from him. But they needed a spark. Uh, it, it, I, I think that was the biggest piece that they needed, and they got it. And man, they've they've just looked on fire since Acuna's gotten back. They needed to get to their version of what normal is going to be in 2022. They hadn't experienced that without Ronald Acuna Jr. And how could you not be just looking and and counting down the days, depending on what the timetable was at the time, for when this kid's going to be back? Because not only is he the best player on the Braves, he's one of the best players in all of baseball. So the impact that can be made goes far beyond what he does at the top of the lineup, beyond what he does in right field. It's what he means to this team and to this club, which did undergo some changes in the way that it looked as a World Series club. Yeah, they won the series without him on the field, but there have been some things that have changed since then. Matt Olson coming in to replace the longtime incumbent first baseman Freddie Freeman, who departs. I mean, yeah, that was a a big story in the early going, but at this point, I think that Matt Olson, I think that the Braves, I think a large segment of Braves fans are saying, okay, all of that happened. Let's put that all over to the side. Now let's focus on what's happening right here and today and getting back Ronald Acuna Jr. And let's talk about what he is doing. (laughs) Two more hits. In this one, he has hit safely in eight of the nine games he's played. He's reached safely in all nine of those. He has a streak that is uh, well over 20, what, 23, 24 yeah, 20, games? Now. 23, so he's only trailing J.D. Martinez of the Red Sox at 27 for the longest active streak. So an on-base streak that goes back to 2021. We know what this guy can do at the top of the order. We know the impact that he can make. He's also doing it on the base pass. He's already swiped four bases on the young season. If you're big into 162 stats, I posted this on Twitter <laughs> 
he would be on pace for 72 steals in a 162-game season. I would say that if you're looking for boxes to check on, how's the knee feeling? Watching the way that he runs the bases, not only stealing bases, this dude scored from first on a pop fly to left field this afternoon. He is an exciting player regardless of how far the ball flies. He is able to make plays and show you something that if you show up to Truist Park or any of the ballparks that the Braves have traveled to that you may not have seen before or you just may not have seen somebody do it in the way that he does. Getting some love from LeBron James after that right? home run on Saturday night with the, with the nice little uh, celebration there. But he's hitting 40% above league average right now in his ninth game. Those back-to-back homers uh, on uh, Friday and Saturday were his first since last May and June. I mean, 450-foot blast on Friday, the Braves' longest of the season. I mean, you mentioned the on-base streak there. I think what we're seeing, too, in this series, that should be the plan. Let him go back and forth between mm-hmm. DH and right field because you and I have met, talked about this in depth before. The, the workload shouldn't be a problem because 10 months removed from the torn ACL, mm-hmm. the guy's showing you he, he's going to go all he out each and every this. single time, and he mm-hmm. worked for this. Uh, two days off this week, I don't think it's really going to be an issue when you think about you know taxing him right now, but... I, you got to keep the bat out there. You got to yeah. keep him in rhythm because we saw this series when he's out there consistently. When he's out there consistently, what he can do because you know those lulls. I mean, it matters for a guy that didn't get the regular spring training like everybody else. You yeah. got to push the agenda, even if you're trying to be careful with him in terms of what you're trying to, how much pressure you're trying to put on him running right now. Yeah, and look, the guy has shown he can run. He's going to do the things that he does. I mean, do you get a little nervous when he hits first base and he comes across looking for the call from the umpire? Yeah, I get a little bit nervous when that <laughs> happens. Thankfully, they've dodged any and all bullets that have. Uh, that have, have come up in that regard. But this is the guy that's going to go out there and play hard. I don't want him to be thinking about taking it easy while he's out there. I want him to mentally be back to that place where that's no longer a hurdle for him. And I honestly think that he is right there. And if he's not, then he's knocking on the door to being there very soon. But having him out there every single day is going to mean a lot to him, both physically and mentally. And it means a lot to the Braves, both mentally and physically. And I flipped those around for very specific reasons. But he means a lot to this club and the club's trajectory moving forward, having to play without him for a while. You are going to kind of, I think, look back at April and wonder, well, what if we had him? What if we had taken advantage of a couple of series? But, you know, the Braves do as good a job, I think, of any team, and Brian Snicker does as good a job of any manager of saying, all right, we got to focus on today. We got to win today. We got to win the series. We got to move on. We got to do it again and, and try to, you know, keep that mindset where it belongs, which is in the present moment. Checking in on Ronald Acuna Jr.'s stats after a couple of more hits on Sunday. His OPS is climbed up over 850. It's approaching 900 now. Again, four stolen bases, back-to-back home runs in games in uh, Friday and Saturday's games. So we're seeing the power. We're seeing the exit velocity. We're seeing the overall, I think, terminal velocity that he can reach on the base paths. There's a lot to get excited about here. On the flip side of this, the Braves pitching this weekend was a key reason why they were able to take two out of three from the Brewers. Max Fried has been every bit that the, of the ace that the Braves have needed so far this season. He was at it again with seven innings of one-run ball, eight strikeouts, one walk against Milwaukee on Saturday. But you needed to see Charlie Morton take a step back into the guy that the Braves need him to be. That happened on Sunday, Corey. If you got Freed going, you get Morton going, Ian Anderson kind of finds himself, and with the emergence of Kyle Wright, all of a sudden you've got a pretty nice starting four there. You can still figure out what five is going to be, and we'll talk about that, but these are the things you needed to see what Charlie Morton did on Sunday. Well, without question, and I think, to me, Freed's start, I mean, it's just been – so right now he's top six in, in F4 among all starters, 268 ERA. Mm-hmm. If you take away that outing that he had against the Reds in the opener when he gave up five runs – that's a one seven two ERA. He's walked one batter. I repeat, one batter in his last five <laughs> starts with 30 strikeouts. Yeah. I mean, it's an 85-mile-an-hour exit velocity right now. That's 92nd percentile. Ridiculous, that walk rate, 1.4. 
Uh, the curveball guys are hitting 158 against that vaunted curveball, a 36% w- uh, whiff rate. You got him at the top of it. And you, you we, we've talked about Morton and these struggles that he's had. You know, again, you, you got to go back to 2010. They'll find the last time that he mm-hmm. was that bad in the month of April. And the thing that was really stopping him was just the lack of whiff rate that he was getting on that fastball because the curveball just was not there. And whether or not that had anything to do with the baseball, it just was not the same curveball. Today, the whiff rate was much higher. He got 10 in all. Six of those came on that curveball. This was much more of the Charlie Morton that you're used to seeing. And you know, with those two at the top, you're, you, know, you, you can allow Ian Anderson to kind of go through his feeling out stage early in this season. He's been good. You know, in moments when he hasn't been good, he's still been good, good enough. Yeah. But it's not been postseason Ian Anderson. And then you got Kyle Wright looking like the top five pick that they drafted him yeah. to be. Uh, and then you figure out five from there, and I think it has a chance to be a very special rotation. But it's all about those top two guys. You know, they have to go out and set the tone. Max, uh, Max Freed is that that ace in the He's making, the and yep. then Charlie Morton is that veteran, you know, coming out and giving you what you expect from him every fifth day. Yeah, and you brought up Charlie Morton in 2010. I mean, this was a complete – this is a lifetime ago. Yep. I mean, that was just two years after the Braves had more or less just decided, well, we don't really see a future here in Atlanta. They traded him off to the Pirates. He spent a long time in Pittsburgh and just kind of – you know, treaded water, it seemed like, at the very best. He reinvented himself a, a little bit after that, around that 2010 to 2011 you know, range, but it really wasn't the Charlie Morton that we know now. He completely reinvented himself about five years ago, and now the Braves are looking for him to just recapture it right now. And if there's a pitcher that's well-equipped mentally to do the things he needs to do here with the determination to solve these early season struggles, I believe that Charlie Morton is that guy. And we're going to talk more about these Braves starting rotation as from the diamond rolls on because we still have that fifth spot of the rotation to figure out. The Braves have tried quite a few candidates, and there's one candidate that we're going to talk about as we continue here that, you know, Spencer Strider. The stuff is there. The excitement factor is there. When is he going to get that opportunity to jump into rotation? That's one of the many questions that the Braves are still trying to answer here in the early going. And as we go through and look at you know, some of the other things that the Braves are trying to solve right now, there are a couple spots in the lineup as well that I think there's a little bit of question about that Brian Snitker is going to look for the answers for. We will discuss all those things. We will look for our versions of those answers. So when we come back, we will have much more Braves talk following this big win on Mother's Day Sunday, 9-2 over the Brewers. The Braves take two out of three. We'll have more of this week in Braves baseball coming your way right here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back to more from the Diamond Sports Radio 92.9, the game. This is from the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9, the game. I'm Grant McCauley. He is Corey McCartney, and we are excited to be with you talking about the Atlanta Braves and what it was a big weekend here on Mother's Day with a 9-2 victory over the Brewers, a series win over one of the best clubs in the National League, and a little bit of momentum heading into the off day on Monday. And Corey, let's keep this conversation going this week in Braves baseball. Typically is going to have a lot of the highs, a lot of the lows, and hopefully there'll be more of the former than the latter. But it's been a little bit challenging over the first five or six weeks as the Braves have been searching for a few answers to some things that I think that over the course of the 162 will start to make a major difference. And quite obviously, the fifth spot in the rotation might be the one that's the most questioned. We've seen the auditions of quite a few of the young arms. There have been mixed results at best. But as I mentioned as we were going to break, there's one arm that hasn't really gotten the chance to go out there every fifth day and maybe have his opportunity to make a major impact, and that is Spencer Strider. 
he of the triple-digit fastball, he of the eight punchouts in four innings in his last outing, just building, I think, on what he has been thus far early this season, which is one of the most intriguing players on the entire Braves roster. So let me boil all that down and ask you, do you think it's time for Spencer Strider to mount up and ride with the Braves starting five? I think you were supposed to phrase it as, I must ask you a question about See, Spencer I Strider. Do that, yeah, but I tried uh, something different. I think it's I think it's time. You know, I think the progression that he's shown you and the the ability to pitch multiple innings. He's done it in five of his six appearances, uh, three and two thirds against the Rangers and four on Friday and following Jesse Chavez against the Brewers. But he hasn't pitched more than four and two thirds since last September for Double A Mississippi. He last started a game on September seventeenth of last year. Mm-hmm. The stuff is is unequivocally there, right? I mean. You know, I've I've talked to him about the progression that he's made, and he got to Double A Mississippi and realized, man, I can't blow this fastball past everybody. Yeah. I've got to work on some secondary stuff. He's been able to do that. I really like that slider. Uh, I think to give him an opportunity. I think when you look at the other options, what I, I hate to say, what do you have to lose? But I think the upside of what that arm could be. The only thing I wonder is. Do you have to send him off to get him stretched out? Has he shown you enough to believe that you could try to get it to maybe five, six innings? I mean, they've got a couple off days coming up, and they're not really going to need that fifth starter until you maybe look at that second Brewer series when they're on their way yeah. to Milwaukee. So maybe they've got time to build him up or an opportunity to build him up, but I think it's time. I mean, Huascar Yanoa has really struggled. He gave up six earned and seven hits mm-hmm. uh, in A. Kyle Muller was roughed up in Texas. Bryce Elder has not looked the same since no. that first opportunity that he had. I mean, you, you don't have a lot of options, and Spencer Strider's shown you enough to think, give him that chance. Yeah, I think so. And just look at his progression to the big leagues last year. He pitched at four minor league levels before he ended up and it was kind of tried out as potentially a big arm reliever that they could carry into the postseason. Now, that didn't end up coming to pass, but, I mean, he began his season in low A Augusta. Then he went to Rome. Then he went to Mississippi. Then he went to Gwinnett ever so briefly. And then he came to Atlanta ever so briefly. But he made a big impression in a very short amount of time in 2021. And as you look at what he's done this year, you know, there's only really been one outing for Spencer Strider that was kind of the anomaly, the outlier, and that was his relief appearance back on April the 23rd when he didn't record an out and was charged with three runs, a couple of walks, and a couple of hits. No strikeouts for him in that game either, but he bounced right back against the Texas Rangers the next time out. Three and two-thirds innings of no-hit ball, one walk, five punch-outs. Then against the Milwaukee Brewers in the opener of this series just on Friday night, four innings, four hits, no walks, Eight strikeouts, career high for him, which I mean, it's a very young career, but eight strikeouts and a four-inning relief stint, that certainly got, I think, the attention of just about everybody. If you weren't already focused on can Spencer Strider be more than just a multi-inning reliever, I think nights like Friday night have to have you asking that question if you're the Atlanta Braves, if you weren't already, because the answer to your question in the fifth spot of the rotation could be right there in front of you. A 36% K rate out of him right now, which is 94th percentile in all of baseball. Guys are hitting just 174 against that four-seamer. It has 100 against the slider. Uh, the, the stuff is is just absolutely electric. And it, you yeah. know, To me, again, I, I think you look at the other options and you say, okay, who should get that chance above Spencer Strider? He's shown you enough. I know when you look at the makeup of him and you think mm-hmm. reliever, you think high-leverage reliever. With the triple-digit fastball. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I think we've also seen a progression where you know, guys like that are you can use them in multiple ways. I mean, I think it's it's 
worth a chance to see what he can do if given the opportunity to start. Yeah, and then we'll see if the Braves decide to do that. As you mentioned, Corey, thanks to all the off days, the Braves don't necessarily have to run a five-man rotation out there for a little while, so you can still keep Spencer Strider stre- uh, stretched out or fresh, if you want to call it that, by giving him work on the side and by giving him some innings in short bursts so that you can see, hey, what does this guy give us when he comes in there for, hey, we need three outs, go out there and do it. I feel like that's an opportunity to just keep him out there, keep him engaged. You don't want him to have a long layoff between outings, I guess is the uh, the thing I really want to get to here because that's what I feel like would start to be a little bit counterproductive. Unless you're in a starting rotation, you don't want a whole bunch of days off before that bullpen door swings open and you're back in action again. But Spencer Strider has most certainly shown the Braves in 16 and two-thirds innings this year with 24 punch-outs a lot. Uh, and there's a lot to think about when it comes to answering that question in rotation. There have also, though, been some questions about the Braves lineup this year. A whole lot of strikeouts, a whole lot of home runs. That's good. But what we've seen, I think, early on has been the Braves doing what they do, which is hard-hit balls. They're among the tops in Major League Baseball in barrels, hard-hit rate. Their expected averages are quite good. Their actual averages are not close to those expected averages. Corey, I know that this is a long season. Baseball is certainly a marathon Things seem to even out, and there's probably three or four more cliches I left on the table there. But the frustrations, while it's not going your way, I think have certainly gotten the fan base's attention. I would absolutely agree with that. But I also think it's why the expected stats are so important, because they ultimately, you think the duration of a season, that they're ultimately you're going to get closer back to those being mm-hmm. more of the norm. I mean, they're second highest differential between expected batting average and actual batting average. Only the Astros have been higher. The third highest differential between expected slugging and actual slugging. The White Sox and Yankees are the only teams that are better. They've no teams hit more solo home runs than the Braves have. Yeah, twenty-seven in all, six overall, thirty-five home runs. All but eight have been solo, and that's a big reason why they're fifteenth in runs scored. I mm-hmm. mean, it's just they've had all these hard-hit balls. They lead the National League in hard-hit outs. It's just been bad luck. And there's, I mean, we can get into this a little bit more with Travis Darno, but he's really the only guy who's truly been benefiting from a high BABIP. He's, everybody else is kind of getting hit hard in that, in that regard. Uh, but there's been some spots in the lineup, too, that have been problematic. As much as you want to talk about, you know, just bad luck, there's also just been some bad production out of some of, of the lineup. Yeah, and, and we are going to talk about that. In fact, let's get into that whole thing right now because runners in scoring position has been a huge question mark for this team or a huge problem area for this team, not even a question. It just hasn't been up to the standard that a team like the Braves has shown that it can be over the past few years. That's where I think the strikeouts start to creep in, and then people start to wonder, is the Braves' approach really worth all these strikeouts? And when you're hitting the ball hard and you're scoring a whole bunch of runs, yes, it's absolutely worth that. But when you're hitting the ball hard but striking out a whole bunch of times and you're not getting the hits on the hard contact, well, then it seems like it's maybe time to go back to the drawing board. But I do think the DNA of this club and the lineup and the guys that they have in this lineup, it is there for them to be successful. It just hasn't happened yet, but I do think – as they say, the worm will turn at some point. Now, Ronald Acuna Jr.'s return is one big part of this story for the Braves lineup, but some of these slow starts, if they drag on much longer, I feel like Brian Snitker at some point is going to have to consider some lineup changes here. And really the question for me becomes, first and foremost, is it time for Marcelo Zuna to get a breather here? Because after his hot start over a couple of weeks, it's been two really bad, really unproductive weeks, and he is sitting in the cleanup spot. And that's a hard place to hide if you're not producing Adam Duvall's also had, you know, a slow start this year to this point, still not up over 200 for the year. But starting with the cleanup spot, you've just got to get more production than you've gotten with one RBI in the last 16 games from your cleanup hitter. That's a hard one to overlook. Yeah, it's not getting it done. I mean, the Braves are 25th in weighted run creative plus out of the fourth spot with obviously Azuna getting the brunt of those ABs. 
Uh, I mean, he's still hitting the ball hard. I mean, that's the one thing that you're always going to see out of him. 113.9 uh, max exit velocity. That's 96 percentile. But all his, his expected stats, 266 batting average, 513 slug. Those are shells of what he was during 2020 when mm-hmm. he lived the National League in RBIs and home runs. His last extra base hit was on April 24th. Yeah. He got the benefit of a little league triple on Saturday. I mean, we're going to go. That one's not a, that's not a big league extra base <laughs> no, up there. No. no. But I mean, he's getting eaten alive on breaking balls. He's hitting 192 yep. on them. Off speed, he's at 083. It's just, I mean, he is absolutely scuffling. And then you look at the fifth spot with Duvall, and that's 28th in way to run Cradle Plus out of him. So you've got the four and the five that just, you know. Well, I think Duvall's kind through. of been, been more in the sixth spot yeah, with, yeah, but with the, Ozzy Aldi. In terms of what they've gotten, the, the duration, yeah. who's gotten the most of them sure. throughout the season. Sure, and, and as you look at Ozzy being bounced around in the lineup, I think fifth is a real comfortable spot for him, so I like him there. That's already a change that's been made, and it's one of the dominoes that falls when you are able to finally put your true leadoff hitter back in the leadoff spot. Then you've got Travis Darno, who is op- operating in that sixth spot of the order and has been one of the Braves' most consistent and hottest hitters throughout the course of this season. I think that that's, there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, he had a lot of time to be able to rest up, get strong again, and get that thumb all the way back to 100%. I think that's made a huge difference for what he's been doing this year because he is getting hits and bunches. He's getting big hits for the Braves. The power is back, and he's a guy that I think maybe right now, while you've got the hot hand, why not ride that for a while? I know Marcel's scuffling, and, and if you have everything going right, and he is who he is, you know, a couple of years ago, then yeah, you'd like to have him in the cleanup spot. But right now, I feel like maybe Travis Darno could be the answer to the middle of the Braves order because I don't know that anybody after Austin Riley is hitting any better than uh, than Travis Darno is this year. He's got a 375 average on balls in play, the best of any Brave, a 23rd among all players. The only Braves in the lineup with an actual batting average and weighted on base average that's better than his expected stats. He's the only guy who's outperforming, you know, what the numbers say he should be doing. And he's hot right now. In the last 13, he's hitting 333 with an 881 OPS, seven extra base hits in that span. This is not the Travis Darno of a year ago that hit 22% below league average. Mm-hmm. He's he's showing you that he's, you know, back to that form that he had in 2020 when he was a silver slugger. I do wonder, though, I mean, you've got William Contreras, who's shown you glimpses. He had a three-run bomb today. Travis Demerit has, you know, shown you the ability to produce as well, along with playing some really strong defense. They may be in a position where, you know, may, they can give Marcelo Zuna a break. And that, yep. and you could be a little bit better defensively. And if if you're riding a hot hand with Contreras or, you know, you're able to work Darno up a little bit further in that lineup, I think you've got pieces in play. Mm-hmm. It's not going to hurt anything to give Marcelo Zuna a little bit of a breather. Yeah, and, and by a breather, I don't mean, like, give the guy a week off no. or place him on a, an injured list stint that really isn't an injured list stint or anything like that. I mean, we don't really have to, you know, put on our tinfoil hats to come up with a way to get Marcelo Zuna out of the lineup. I just feel like at this point maybe it would be beneficial, not just for the team, but also for him to take a big step back and say, okay, let me – because I've heard players say, when I get to sit on the bench and I get to watch the game for a day, it helps slow down some of what I'm seeing and helps me kind of get re-engaged by unplugging for just a minute. Maybe that would be something that would help him as well. Now, it's not a cure-all. There's going to be work that's going to continue in batting practice in the cage and uh, with Kevin Seitzer and on his own and however it is that he you know, works through this kind of scuffling that you know has kind of plagued him over the past couple of years because he got off to an awful start before his other troubles in 2021. So it's one of these things that you'd like to see Marcel look more like the player he was in 2020, though I know that's asking an awful lot because he wasn't winning a triple crown before he came to the Braves, even though he flirted with one uh, in his first year with the club. So just having the productive hitter, I mean, you mentioned what his expected average, his expected slugging are 
Those are numbers that I think would be acceptable for the Braves and acceptable for a cleanup hitter. If you're able to hit around 270 and slug around 500, you're going to be running into your home runs. You're going to be thereby driving in some runs. And the Braves really just need some guys to come in in some key situations. And we can talk about expected stats and we can talk about exit velocities and all of the other things that go with you know how things maybe should be or how unlucky the club has been. But ultimately, it does come back to results. Who can get you results? Who's getting you results right now? And maybe finding a way to kind of move some pieces around the board, which I think Brian Snitker has done over the past few years. Once it gets to a certain point, he's like, I got to try something else. But you kind of want to ride with your guys as long as you can and give veteran players, particularly one like Ozuna in this case, and Adam Duvall as well, the opportunity to work their way through this they're not going to get it by being pulled out of the lineup and sat down for eight or ten days or something like that. So we'll see how all of that plays out. The Braves, though, have had more good than bad on this Mother's Day weekend. They take two out of three from the Milwaukee Brewers, nine runs on the board on Sunday as well, and their 9-2 victory to take two out of three from the first-place club in the National League Central. we got lots more Braves and baseball talk coming your way as From the Diamond continues right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. place for all things MLB and our Braves. This is From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you right here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game on your Sunday evening and of course wherever you get your podcasts you can find From the Diamond there. We hope you'll subscribe and leave us a rating and maybe follow us on Twitter as well. I am at Grant McCauley. He is at Corey J. McCartney. You can follow the show at From the Diamond underscore and make sure you follow 92.9 The Game at 92.9 The Game. We've talked a lot about the Braves, and rightfully so. Great weekend for them. We're going to be doing that each and every Sunday here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game as part of From the Diamond. And we're also going to take a look at what else is happening across the world of Major League Baseball. We're going to try something out here, Corey. I'm going to call it three up and three down. It's some of the biggest stories in the world of baseball for the week that was and the discussions that can come from some of these stories with some of the other news happening around. I want to talk about a former Brave a long time ago. This man was on deck when Hank Aaron hit home run number 715. We just celebrated Hank Aaron over the weekend. Braves wore those beautiful throwback uniforms that I don't think anybody loves wearing that more than Ronald Acuna Jr. as he hit two more home runs in him this weekend. But Dusty Baker, we know him more so as a manager for the past two and a half decades or so now, but a milestone that only 12 other managers in baseball history have reached. And Dusty Baker on Tuesday, he joined that club. 2,000 wins as the Astros beat the Mariners, and Dusty Baker earned this honor. Now I'm going to throw this stat at you because when you get to 2,000 wins as a manager, not only is that an elite club, but it usually gets you admittance into an even more elite club. 11 men have reached that milestone, 10 already in the Hall of Fame. Bruce Bochy, not yet eligible. But despite not having his elusive World Series ring as a manager, Dusty Baker, Cooperstown, I think he's in. What do you think? Oh, without question. And he's the only one of those guys with 2,000 wins that doesn't have that World Series. Mm-hmm. Got there twice, obviously, with the Giants in 02 and the Astros last season. By the way, uh, he should have no trouble getting past Walter Alston for ninth all-time by the end of this season. Walter Alston was his manager when he got traded to the Dodgers yeah. his first season in 1976. So um, hold on to that one for your trivia nights if you uh, might end up needing it. But um, you know, the guy was a two-time All-Star, Gold Glove winner, NLCS MVP. I think he's going to be right there in conversations when you start talking about the best player and then eventually manager like along Joe with Torrey. Joe Torre. I think yeah. he's going to be right there in that conversation. Yeah, I definitely think so. And Dusty's one of those guys that, I mean, look, the Astros, they had their troubles a few years ago. Dusty Baker was not part of that. But when it came time to, I'll call it, rehab their image, 
who did they go to? They went to a guy who is pretty much universally respected in baseball circles to do so. And Dusty Baker, I think, has done a fine job. He had him knocking on the door of winning a World Series championship last year. They just happened to run into the team of destiny, the Atlanta Braves. Um, now, the Mets, meanwhile, we've seen a lot of them this year. The Braves just saw them this past week, splitting a four-game series. But right after that series ended, and the Braves had dropped an exciting seven spot on them to earn a split of their four-game set. The Mets had a crazy comeback over the Phillies. Every 25 years or so, a club does something like this that it hasn't done in a while. The Mets were down 7-1 in the ninth inning to the Phillies on Thursday, proceeded to score seven runs and win the game 8-7. That's their largest comeback since September of 1997 when they rallied to beat the Montreal Expos. Yes, a team that is now playing in a different city under a different name. That, I guess, is how bad that comeback was for them. It's been quite a year so far, though, for Buck Showalter's Mets, who are sitting atop the NL East. And, Corey, as we've seen and experienced for the Atlanta Braves, when uh, these kind of things are going right for a team, it kind of feels like they may be pretty good and that this might indeed be a special year for that club, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, seven runs in the top of the ninth, seven runs on eight hits and 29 pitches. I mean, I though I kept thinking about Gabe Kapler and, you know, what happened with the Giants and the, you know, the Nationals, and there was some beef there with them trying to steal second and score in a single in the top of the ninth when they were up six runs. Mm-hmm. Obviously, no lead is actually safe. You know, that, that Not right there. And then the other side of it, I was thinking about the Phillies. And, man, what a demoralizing loss for them, right? They, that was, they lost four straight games. They snapped that today with a win over the Mets. But they've lost more games than they've won since Joe Girardi returned uh, to the dugout. Girardi's in a year next year. He has no contract. He has an option year that has yet to be picked up. I think it's going to be interesting to see as, as epic as this was for the Mets. And as much as you think, man, this team is, just has so many weapons all over the field. How demoralizing is this ultimately going to be for the Phillies when you think about what they've not been able to do with Joe Torre in the uh, with Joe Torre with Joe Girardi in the dugout? The other uh, Joe, the, yeah, the other Joe, uh, the other one with those Yankees ties. But that, you know, it, it was it was a crazy comeback. But I, I think there's there's a lot of spider webs that kind of go out from it. I mean, the Phillies are really, I think, still searching to find whatever it is they've been looking for yep. the past few years. Ever since that statement came out where they were going to spend stupid money, <laughs> and they signed Bryce Harper, and I'm not saying that was a stupid you know, signing because there are plenty of other clubs lined up behind them to sign him as well. But, you know, they've kind of gotten themselves in this, I, I don't know what you call it, but this this neutral position where they just can't seem to get to and above 500 and win consistently enough to really push themselves to the top of the National League East. I think they finished, what, 500 one time since those Phillies clubs that we were talking about mm-hmm. with Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard and Chase Utley and, and that bunch. It just hasn't turned back into what was, at least for a little while, what was looking like perhaps a golden era for Philly at least for the moment. Now, uh, every once in a while we see a crazy story, something that you know just doesn't happen very often, and we saw it with the Pittsburgh Pirates on Saturday up in Cincinnati when starting catcher Roberto Perez was forced to exit with a hamstring injury in the eighth. It was Josh Van Meter, the normal second baseman for Pittsburgh, pressed into duty behind the plate his first time catching since high school. <laughs> Been a minute. Regular backup Andrew Knapp had been ejected for the first time in his career in the sixth inning, so he wasn't an option. And that made for a rather stressful frame in the eighth inning for Van Meter, who was behind the plate as the Reds of all teams exploded for seven runs and took game one of that twin bill. And this is obviously a day Van Meter's not going to forget anytime soon and one he probably doesn't want to think about that much anymore. But these were his thoughts after being the emergency catcher on that day. Pure panic, to be honest with you. Uh, saw him go down, and it was like, it happened so fast. I don't know. I had to go put a cup on, and I had to grab Napper's catching gear, and then had to figure out which glove I was going to use, and then the inning was over, it felt like, and I had to be out there. So um, it happened really fast, and 
you know, pitchers did a good job of working with me and didn't bounce too many balls, which made it easy. So, do you remember the last time you caught in a game when it was? Uh, probably was like 14 in summer ball, a uh, long time ago, and guys weren't throwing that hard and stuff wasn't moving like that. So. I can't imagine that the uh, catcher's experience at the age of 14 in summer ball wasn't like a big league game, no matter who the two teams are. <laughs> Reds and Pirates not really going anywhere this year. This, though, a bizarre day. And I know fans ask all the time, hey, who's the emergency catcher? Because they always want to know. But I can tell you this, a baseball team, this is the point. You never really want to find out by having to put them in there. This is the last, uh, the first time someone's used their emergency catcher since the Giants in 2007 with Pedro Feliz. I mean, it's awful. been a long time. Yeah. It's obviously an absurd story, but to me, it just, I think about how it does, it, it's, it, I mean, it's crazy, but I think about in 2020 when the Carolina Hurricanes had to use a 42-year-old backup catcher who was a Zamboni driver for the, the Toronto uh, AHL team. It was forced <laughs> into action. I, I mean, this would be, uh, that would be the equivalent of the freeze or Mark Owens stepping in and having to catch a game for the Atlanta Braves. I mean, as crazy as this Pirates thing was, it, there's some a little bit more stages to absurdity for it. But look, I'm just glad that he remembered to put on a cup, but he did have to borrow all the catcher's gear from Knapp, who had already been ejected from the game. And that's just one of those things where if you're the backup catcher, you're thinking, man, I had one job. And it was not get thrown out of this game just in case they need me later. But uh, balls and strikes, you're going to get rung on that. Speaking of bizarre ejections that went on, how about Madison Bumgarner? I don't know if anybody in the last, I can't even think of a time frame, has had a more bizarre ejection. Uh, Diamondback starter Madison Bumgarner in action against Miami, ejected by the first base umpire Dan Bellino, who was checking him as the umps do of the pitchers between innings for foreign substances. And it got heated very quickly, and the eye contact, all of the weird interactions between these two, it left Bumgarner among the many who were very, very confused. And now Bellino, and you don't see this very often, actually issued an apology. It came in a statement which read, When I began my MLB career almost 15 years ago, I received some good advice. I was told to umpire every game as if my children were sitting in the front row. I fell short of those expectations this week, and while I can't go back and change what happened, I take full accountability. I will learn from this incident, and I sincerely apologize. Now, again, we don't often see umpires issuing apologies or even talking about these kinds of things in the press or anywhere else, but this kind of underscores the bizarre nature of this, and here's what Madison Bumgarner thought of the apology that he received from Mr. Bellino. Reaction from the statement? I mean, it wasn't directed to me. It was fine. I don't need... The apology, Corbin Martin needs an apology. It, it matters more to me about guys like Corbin and then maybe the chance of that happening to somebody else. You know, what if I had some kind of incentive-based contract and now, you know, I come up two or three innings short of it? What if I was a, an arbitration-eligible guy that come up a few innings short of VRA title? There's a million different scenarios that don't affect me. You know, if this type of thing was to happen again to somebody else, you know, it could possibly affect them in a much worse way than it did me. And what are your thoughts on all that? Bizarre. I mean, I think this being Mother's Day, uh, I think about being a parent and, you know, the way that he stared at him, it just waiting for that reaction. Like, is you're, you're just basically yeah. goading in them to getting mm -hmm. what you want so you can issue whatever, uh, uh, you know, penalty or, or whatever, you know, you want to put on this child or this player or whatever, you know, you want to look at as a parent or an umpire. But I, I'm glad he issued an apology, but it almost it, it almost feels like you're just doing it so it doesn't hurt, you know, what they're trying to do with this substance, foreign substance mm -hmm. checking and all that. But, I, I mean, just so strange. You know, staring at him, get the reaction. It was just really weird all around. It really was. I mean, the apology, thanks, I guess, yeah. if you're Madison Bumgarner. And he was mentioning Corbin Martin, who had to throw four innings. And then because of that, 
the Diamondbacks weren't going to be able to use him for quite a few days. They had to option him back to the minor leagues, so that affected him. That affected his wallet, among other things, and he was not the guy who was thrown out of the game. So a lot of weird levels to that, most certainly. Now, also, if you've been watching baseball all year long, you have to have heard this on a pretty nightly basis. It's the ball, right? It has to be the ball. What is going on with some of the home runs that are not home runs this year and the fact that offenses are down across all 30 teams, teams averaging just over Four runs per game, 4.04 if you want to do the simple math here in 2022. Scoring has not been this low in a full season since 1980 with the average of four runs per game. That's an article in CBS Sports that I read this week. And you know, MLB has got the humidors going in all 30 parks, and they had tried it out in 10 parks last year. They've had all kinds of complaints about the qualities and the batches of the baseballs and when they were produced and not. But now they've said everybody's getting the same batches of baseballs. Uh, We have this newer batch this year. It's been a story over the last three seasons, I think, in response to 2019's historic home run binge. Home run rates are down. Offenses are down. Hitters are having to find a way to adjust. Corey, I don't know if this is going to change when the weather heats up, but this has kind of been one of those things where Major League Baseball has, I think, taken some flack, and justifiably so, for doing different things and trying to change things in and around the game that basically no one's asking for. Yeah, and I've heard Colin McHugh of the Braves relievers say, basically, there's no there's no consistency with these balls. You'll get and one, one inning, and yeah, they're, they're just not the same ball. It, it's still early, but four of the top hard-hit percentages in the StatCast era, which goes back to 2015, are from teams this season with the Yankees, Blue Jays, White Sox, and Phillies, and we're talking about teams averaging the lowest amount of runs in April since 1981. The league-wide average of 233 is the lowest on record, beating 1968 when the next year they go and lower the mound. Right. I mean, it's a, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you go back to the expansion era, which you're talking about since 61, 26 seasons saw more home runs in the first month than the 574 that were just hit in April. There were 301 more home runs hit last April than this April. Yeah, the numbers just bear out that the baseball is different. And I know that as you look through the baseball savant or the all of the advanced metrics that measure the flight of the baseball, average for barrels, and those are, are balls that are a, a, you know of a specific expected average and should go a certain distance and hit at a certain launch angle and have the same, a certain average exit velocity. That average exit velocity continues to be consistent with what it was the past few years. The ball, though, is flying six feet uh, six fewer feet than it has been since last year. Six fewer feet makes a big deal. That's the difference in a warning track and a home run, among other things, or a ball that's out of the reach of a fielder or what have you. There's well, a lot of different ways you can look at it. Let me ask you this. What do you do about it? Like, I, if, I if, you're, if you're a player, do you, I mean, do you say I, these are working conditions that I can't live with? I mean, how do you, what, what steps do you take to make this have to be fixed in some way, shape, or form? I, I don't know that there's an easy answer to that. I'm sure this probably came up a time or three when it came to the collective bargaining that the players have had with the owners not too long ago. I'm sure the two sides are going to have to work together, but for right now, Major League Baseball needs to just find consistency. And I think that is what Colin McHugh was talking about, make it consistent. That is the biggest question that they're dealing with. One other big story before we turn the page here on From the Diamond. Robinson Cano has had a very long career in the big leagues, but owed $45 million over the rest of his contract. The Mets had to make a tough decision, designated him for assignment when rosters had to be trimmed here in the month of May. This could be the end of Robinson Cano's run at 39 years old. But, Corey, I think this just signals that the Mets, despite that payroll obligation, they're going to roll with giving the plate appearances to the players that deserve them the most. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Mets aren't afraid to spend when it, it matters most, and this obviously is a time when it matters most to get the, the at-bats for the guys that matter. But the other side of it is just sad, right? I mean, you think back in 2017, you know, he had – 
Robinson Cano had 70-plus extra base hits, second among all second base behind only Roger Hornsby. And now we're talking about a guy that's maybe at the end of his baseball yeah. career. Well, father time comes for us all is what they say. That's especially true in sports. And for Robinson Cano, father time may have been knocking on his door when the New York Mets sent him going. He will get that $45 million, though, so don't feel too sad for Robinson Cano at this moment. Anyway, we've got lots more to get to here. We're going to take a trip around the big leagues. When we come back here, we're going to size up the National League and the American League division battles on From the Diamond here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Baseball. Talking Braves and beyond. Baseball. With From the Diamond, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back to From the Diamond here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you here on a Sunday evening talking about a big series for the Braves, big series win over the Brewers, and also what else is happening across the world of baseball. And as we uh, shift our focus to what else is happening around the big leagues, no better place to start than in the National League. And, of course, in the National League East where the Braves, Corey, needed to start winning series. They were able to split that one with the Mets during the week. That's a a good start. At least it was – is staying and not losing any ground in a tough road matchup against that club. But when they came home, they had the Brewers and that vaunted pitching staff waiting for them. Braves really passed this test by winning two out of three in that series. Meanwhile, the Mets, who were battling the Phillies over the weekend, they have had a comfortable lead in the division for most of the early going of this season, and they have looked like a club that has legitimate staying power this year. And I know that the Mets, kind of uh, the punchline is always, they don't know how many games are in the regular season. We saw that in 2021, but this feels a little different. It looks a little different, and as I look up and down the standings in the National League East right now, yeah, the Mets are up there with some separation over all the other clubs, but one notable change from a year ago is that the Miami Marlins look like a club that is going to have a say much more so than they have in recent memory. I will absolutely buy that. I mean, he's sitting second place right now in the division. Um, the Mets, though, I mean, the offense is second in the majors, first in the NL in, in Fangraph War. They lead the NL in way to recreate a plus. That pitching staff, I mean, six, the, it's overall tied for the second in rotation, despite the fact that we've not seen Jacob deGrom throw an inning in yeah. the 2022 season. But the Marlins, I mean, Pablo Lopez has been ridiculously good. Um, Jesus Lazardo striking out almost 12 per nine. Trevor Rogers and you know, Elzar Hernandez have both ERAs over six, though. I mean, it hasn't been collectively the the pitching staff that I think we were anticipating mm-hmm. it was going to be, but they've gotten, obviously, you know, again, uh, Lopez has been fantastic. So I, they're, they're going to be in this thing. They're going to be a tough out for everybody that they play. I mean, the Braves know that firsthand. Yeah. Uh, but it's it just feels like they're, they're – I mean, Jorge Soler's just not been what he was when he hit balls into orbit in a Braves uniform. Not yet, not, not right. yet, anyway. And maybe that's the baseball again, too. I mean, we've talked about that a little uh, bit yeah, already. Yeah. I mean, he could just be one of the many sluggers that's wondering, hey, that thing was out a year ago. It's definitely out in 2019, but, you know, unless you have a time machine and that batch of baseballs, things are yep. a little bit different for him among others. Yeah, the Marlins are setting in a good position, though. I mean, they're just a game back of, of 500. You know, it's, just, it, it's very much a team that we've talked about for years that's going to be predicated on what steps does that young pitching staff make and what can they – what what – semblance of offense because they can they get around them and we're seeing early on especially when uh, Pablo Lopez is on the mound everything seems to be clicking for this team. yeah and they seem to have that legitimate front of the rotation starter then they've got four good arms behind him that can back him up and really I don't know if, if a lot of folks expected Lazardo to be the guy that was going to take the big step forward because yeah while he had big strikeout numbers everything else was kind of a, a mess for him in establishing himself as a big league pitcher but he's taken some serious steps here in the early going but uh, just as I've said with the Braves, and many of people have heard this many a time, 
it is still early. There's a lot of baseball left to be played. That kind of was my point about the Mets. I mean, this is a great start for them. Are they going to be able to play, you know, 650, 700 baseball all season long? No, I don't think they're going to be able to do that. They did lose the first game of their twin build to the Phillies on Sunday. Max Scherzer finally taking a loss. That doesn't happen very often uh, for him in recent memory, and they went out and paid him an awful lot of money to lead that rotation. And thus far, even without Jacob deGrom, the Mets have done everything in their control to jump out to a big start, while clubs like the Braves and the Phillies have both kind of stumbled out of the gate. The Marlins, I think, at least have to be in line with what their reasonable expectation was for this year. And now, as they start to get a little bit more confident, this is a talented young team. I think they're going to make some noise. Meanwhile, the Nationals sitting down at the bottom, you know, they're nine, ten games under 500 at this point. I don't really see them being a big factor, despite the fact that they have one of the best hitters, one of the best players in all of baseball in Juan Soto, but it's going to take a lot more than that to get the Nationals heading back in the right direction. Shifting our focus to the National League Central, we just saw the Milwaukee Brewers. They came in, and they didn't play their brand of baseball, I don't feel like, against the Braves. They got a couple of well-pitched games, which I'm not surprised about. They lost one of them on Saturday with Corbin Burns on the mound, but the defense in this series was questionable yeah, was at best. Yeah. I mean, atrocious might be the more more apropos term. Uh, but still, 19-10 and 10, as they head into Monday's action, head into the next week, they're a couple of games ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals, who are the only other 500 team in the National League Central. But I'm a little bit surprised to see that, hey, the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are not spending a lot on that roster, you know, they're right there sitting in the middle of that division race. And then you see find the Chicago Cubs and the lowly Cincinnati Reds, who have had all kinds of trouble, including some PR issues with what their owner was saying about if the fans don't like it. You know, maybe we'll move, or maybe you should move. I don't know what to make of that. I, you know, I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, it was just, you know, you, you got the Florence Yalls, and they're not far from Great American Ballpark. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go watch some minor league baseball, they can always do that. But the, with the Brewers, I mean, you, we this was a team that went into Sunday leading the majors in run scored. We they had the best pitching staff in totality. Josh Hader has not given up a run since Freddie Freeman took him deep in the NLDS. But I just wonder how much of what we've seen of them is taking advantage of some seriously bad competition. I mean, they split with the Cardinals, but 14 of their wins have come against the Cubs, uh, Red, Cardinals, Reds, and Orioles. Mm-hmm. And not saying that, that this team isn't legit, but the competition just is not stout. I mean, they're probably going to make a run at 100 wins, and it's going to be on the back of playing 19 games each against three really bad teams within their division. Yeah. I mean, the teams that you would figure that they should be taking 12, 13, yeah. 14 wins from at minimum, especially with that pitching staff. And and I don't know what to make yet of the Cardinals. I feel like they're a club that, you know, they. I don't know what it is. It just feels like that they just don't quite have right now. But it feels like they're a tick off from some of the Cardinals clubs. I don't know if it's in terms of construction. I don't know if it's in terms of making a manager change, you know, not long ago that had kind of a lot of people scratching their heads and wondering, hey, why are we going a different direction here? But, you know, this is a club that always seems to find a way each and every season to be competitive and to be in the middle of things and find its way into October. So that really seems like the only club that's even close to prepared to competing with the Brewers on a regular basis. And if you're going into the playoffs, expanded or otherwise, winning your division is the way that you want to do it. And for the Brewers, I mean, if you look up and down the run differentials in all of the National League, only the Dodgers, as of today, have a better run differential than the Milwaukee Brewers, and they just lost a game 9-2. to two. Nolan Arenado is playing an MVP level right now. I, I will say that for the Cardinals, hitting 107% above league average. He's been fantastic already, t- a 2.2 war player. Uh, they're, I mean, they're getting some nice offensive uh, efforts, but it, just, it does feel like there's something missing there. Maybe it's just because they don't have – 
that top of the line starter anymore that you feel like is the guy that's really going to hold things down for them. They they have lots of okay, that's a nice guy to have, but mm-hmm. they don't have anybody that you'd get fearful of anymore within that rotation. Wainwright's, you know, he's on the COVID list now, and he, you know, he's Flaherty's he's, hurt. Yeah, Flaherty's hurt. They just don't have that that option right now where you feel like okay, this is, the Brewers have the best pitching staff in the division, one of the best in all of baseball. Who do you put against them? They, they don't have that right now. Yeah, this start, though, for Nolan Arenado, you're right. I mean, who would have expected him to leave Colorado, especially yeah. looking at the numbers as they were in 2021 that were notably down from his year-to-year stats in Colorado where he could hit 35 to 40 home runs, he could drive in 125 runs any given year, plus he's a platinum glove defender at third base. But hitting close to 340 with seven home runs and 24 runs knocked in in his first 27 games this year, and he ain't playing in Coors Field. I mean, there's a humidor everywhere, so maybe that feels a bit familiar for him. But when you look across the league and see a lot of hitters struggling to find those kind of results, this has to make the Cardinals feel pretty good about the long-term investment that they made in bringing Nolan Arenado over from the Colorado Rockies. Now we move out to the West where we find the Dodgers unsurprisingly sitting atop that division. The Padres, though, nipping at their heels. And how about the surprising Colorado Rockies who are not only above 500 but you know, knocking on the door of second place there. And I don't know how long this can you know, play out over the course of a season. And the Rockies have gotten, and justifiably so, I think, a lot of grief for how they have managed that franchise and some of their better players with Arenado. And now Trevor Story mm-hmm. is off in Boston as well. They did bring in Chris Bryant. So you know, maybe that's kind of trying to show the fans that, hey, we are going to spend some money, and they can certainly spend it. They've got it. Uh, a, a pretty good start for them. I mean, this entire division, as we sit here recording the show right now, is 500 or better. That I don't know that I expected out of the National League West, particularly because Colorado had been so bad and Arizona had been even worse as recently as last year. I think with the the Rockies, C.J. Crone has just been uh, just uh, such a surprise. I mean, he was a 2-3 war player last year. He's already close to that after 27 games. He's hitting 320 with 177 weight around credit plus. He's got nine homers. They've got six players on that team that are hitting above league average. They're getting some strong pitching. Chad Cool's got a 182 ERA. And then you look at the Diamondbacks. I mean, Dalton Varsho, you know, he's got six homers, a 1-3 war. Paven Smith's got gone deep three times. Varsho had a nice 2021, but he's really ratcheted it up this year. Merrill Kelly, Zach Gallon, they're getting some strong pitching out of that. It's been a lot deeper than I think anybody anticipated now. Are we going to look a month from now, two months from now, and have that same conversation? I think there's only two teams that maybe you think have real staying power in that division, and these two teams we're talking about are not ones of them. Well, I think that the Giants, I mean, you can't okay, say that. I'd say I, I take that back. Three teams. So three teams, yeah. because the Padres, I think, are going to be a club that's there, at the very least in the wild card, yeah. but they have eyes on a bigger prize than that. The Giants have to feel like, Hey, last year we won you know, more than 100 yeah. ball games, and we did not get our deep run through October. They've got some serious unfinished business, and it's amazing to me that the Giants are able to go out and find pitchers who someone else or <laughs> multiple clubs have just given up on or just don't believe in or whatever the case is and turn them into the latest reclamation projects, and they're doing it again this year because if you look at this pitching staff for the San Francisco Giants, who, again, are not necessarily off to the start that is lined in with what they had a year ago. But, I mean, it's an impressive group when it comes to looking at what they do on the pitching side of things. And this year's reclamation project, if you want to call him that, is Carlos Rodon, who is one of the best pitchers in all of baseball right now. Right behind him, you knew what to expect from Logan Webb. 
And then they went out and they brought back in Alex Wood, and they also went out and signed Alex Cobb, and those are guys that their strikeout numbers are up big time. So something that the San Francisco Giants do to, to help pitchers reclaim their career or get back on track or, in the case of Kevin Gosman, find a level mm-hmm. they'd never even thought about before, that's a pretty impressive trait, and it's no surprise that that's one of the reasons why the Giants have been annually a club that has managed to take some steps that maybe nobody expected. Rodon has been just ridiculous. I mean, a one five five ERA, a one three WAR. I mean, it's just when you look at the all the expected stats. I mean, it's just it, it, guys are hitting one forty nine against him right now on the fastball. The one thirty one forty three on the slider. It's just everything has been ratcheted up. And for a guy coming off of you know the issues, the injury issues that he's had, the market for him wasn't nearly I think what people anticipated that it might be. And he goes to a place and, and looks even better than he did when he was in with the White Sox. So, I mean, it's whatever's in the water out there. I mean, it literally, I don't know if this is the water beyond the outfield wall or what water you're talking. There's something good going on out there when they get the, their hands on these guys. And um, this is a really special, special pitching staff right now. No, it definitely is. I mean, last year with the White Sox, where Don was 13 and 5 with yeah. a 237, he struck out 185 guys in 132 innings. So, I'm not telling you that. The Giants just recreated a, a pitcher that was kind of teetering, but not too long ago. You go back to 2020. This was a guy with an ERA well over eight. So he has continued the success out there, and the Giants just find a way to attract these pitchers to come out there. And whether it's drinking from that fountain or whatever the case is or handing them the book that helps them to solve opposing hitters, Rodon can certainly benefit from that and continue what he had started out in Chicago. So as you look across the National League, I mean, I expect a lot of things to change. I really don't look at the standings and ever say, this is where we are and this is where we're going to be all summer, really until I get to Memorial Day. That's when I start to take stock of all this. But, Corey, we're only about three or so weeks away from that. So we've played enough games, even with a late start given the lockout, to start to get an idea of who teams are and maybe perhaps in some cases who teams aren't. But, you know, I circle all this and bring it back to the Braves. They've shown us a little bit of both of those things. They've shown them who they shown us who they can be and who they have been. And they've also shown that, hey, the 2022 version is still searching for answers and trying to find some ways to um, get those answers sooner than later so that the division race doesn't get too far out of hand because they did come into the day, what, six and a half games mm-hmm. out of first place in the National League East, and we are far, far away uh, from the end of the season. A lot of games left to be played, but you don't want to fall too far behind too early, do you? No, you don't. And obviously the one thing they can hang their hat on is that they watched the Mets do this last year. They watched the Mets last season be in first place longer than any team in history and end up with a sub-500 record. But you can't expect it. No, though, you, you can't. Know? But they, they can't anticipate that they, they're, they're going to allow another team to set their direction. They've got, they've got to be able to go out. And now they're finding that, I think, a little bit more with Acuna top that lineup, having the guy that's the, the real table setter for them. I, I, I think we're seeing the makings of them finally being what we expected. Yeah, and what the Braves had designs on yeah. being this year. Ronald Acuna Jr. makes it a different team. We've seen that in the early returns here, and hopefully he's just getting warmed up, which should scare the rest of the National League. So look across the divisions, though. It's the Mets, the Marlins, the Braves, the Phillies, and the Nationals in the East. It's the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Pirates, the Cubs, the Reds in the Central, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Colorado Rockies, San Francisco Giants, and Arizona in the West. And all those teams out West, crazy. 500 or better as we sit right now. So lots going on in the game of baseball, or lots going on in the National League. And lots going on in the American League. We'll be talking about that as we return here on From the Diamond and continue our look around the big leagues right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. 
I love baseball. Now back to more Grant McCauley and From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you here in the Kia Studios. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. And we have more big league baseball to get to as we take our trip around the big leagues and move over to the American League and as we look at the East, Corey, we always expect at least a three-team race in that division. And every year it gives us at least three teams that are gunning for it. And that's what we're getting here in 2022. The Yankees, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Toronto Blue Jays open the day all within three games of each other with a month under our belts. So I guess the question remains, who has the real staying power among those three teams? We'll put the wild card aside for a moment, but when it comes to winning, I think the toughest division to win Every single year, which one of these teams do you feel like has the edge? Ooh. So with the the Yankees, I mean, Aaron Judge has played more than 112 games once since 20, 2017. Mm-hmm. Anthony Rizzo is hitting well above his age right now, 74% above league average. DJ LeMayhew's, you know, almost right there with him. They have seven hitters at 8% above or higher. The pitching staff's got Nestor Cortez, Jamison Tyon, Jordan Montgomery. It, it, to me, I, I just I just don't I don't get the long-term of that offense. I I'm, I don't believe in some of those older pieces that they have. I worry about the health. The Rays, I think this is collectively the league's best offense. Wander Franco, a 1-5 war. He's been on an absolute show. I mean, it's he's just already such a, a deep star, group. I mean, you know? it's, it's such a deep group. The Blue Jays, I mean, they've, they've slowed down since that really hot start. They've lost five of their last ten, negative run differential. But I really like this team. I think you look at the pitching staff with Gosman, you know, Barrios, Ryu, uh, Manoa, Kikuchi. It, it's the deepest in the division. And I think when you start stacking these offenses against one another, to me that pitching staff for the Blue Jays could ultimately be the difference because they've got all the offensive weapons. No team has more hard-hit balls than the Jays do. I think in the long term of the season, when you think about the propensity to deliver those hard hits – and have that kind of a pitching staff, I think, to me, that puts the Jays on top. Now, if we're talking about just the overall best player in that division, best slugger in that division, Aaron Judge, healthy, probably gets that nod most times. But then I think about what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did in 2021. And if he approaches that, if that becomes who he now is, I think there's a pretty good argument you could make that Vladdy Jr. might be the best hitter in the American League East, and I know it's not a, a race between individual sluggers. We're not talking about a home run derby here that wins the division, although it certainly wouldn't hurt. Um, I really feel like Guerrero and the cast that he has around him, yeah, they got a hot start. They may have slowed down a little bit. There is a lot of baseball left to be played, but this is a group that if you're going just to buy in on the talent itself and the group of talent, I don't know that there is a team that boasts more than Toronto has. If you're talking about like a franchise fantasy deal, like, right, where you're buying it and you're holding on to it. I mean, yeah. the Jays are the, the team in the division that you want just for all that young talent that they have. But, I mean, I, obviously, you know, he's got a chance to be a really special player for a, a really long time. And between him and, and Franco and uh, in, in Tampa Bay, I mean, they've got two of the best young talents in all of baseball. Uh, I just, you know, Judge can, Judge can be a, an MVP if he can stay healthy. But, again, yeah. he's not played more than 112 in the last five years. No, he is not. And when you look at health and the question marks that come with that, Giancarlo Stanton has been a guy that they went out and spent a lot of money on. I mean, they didn't have to trade a lot of assets to the Marlins for him, but they did take on that big contract. And now they're going to have to figure out how exactly are they going to get Aaron Judge maybe locked into one of those nice big contracts as well. But the Yankees are doing some winning. They did bring in or bring back, I should say, Anthony Rizzo. They traded for him last year. He came back in. They also went out and got our old friend Josh Donaldson. He hasn't done a whole lot here in the early going 
the Twins were, I guess, happy to divest themselves of their five-year deal with Donaldson and send him on over to the Yankees. And um, I don't know that uh, Minnesota necessarily expected to be where they are this year. We'll talk about the Central in a moment, but you know, it wasn't that long ago that they went out and really wanted Josh Donaldson, and now they were happy to move on from him, and they're having a little bit more success with him over with the Yankees than they were with him playing the hot corner for Minnesota. It's just so weird still seeing Josh Donaldson, like a clean-cut Josh Donaldson. Yeah, you know, it, it just, seems like an off-brand. Yeah, it? yeah. You know, you think about him coming in the Braves clubhouse with the you know the Raiders hat on, and just that you know he come when Josh Donaldson enters a room, you know Josh Donaldson is in the room. There's a certain energy. Yeah, there is, and it, it's just bizarre seeing him uh, on that Yankees team. And you know, it, I mean, he's been fine. He's been 15 percent above league average. He's gone deep a couple times, uh, but you know, it, it's just been not been the same player that he was. Uh, you know, at the height. Yeah, I mean, and you can look at all of the advanced stats, which will tell us a little bit more about, like, what a hitter's truly doing and maybe what he's going to do moving forward. But the bottom line is, if you walk up to Josh Donaldson and say 25 games into the season, you're going to have two homers and seven runs knocked in. He's probably going to be thinking, man, I'm not having a very good year. (laughs) And defensively speaking, I still think he brings a, a great dynamic and something that the Yankees could be, you know, very happy to have over at the hot corner. The question, of course, with Josh Donaldson is, will he be healthy? All season long, the Twins had to deal with that. The Braves managed it about as good as anybody could when he was over in 2019 because the previous years, finishing the one in Cleveland in 2018, and of course the end of his run in Toronto, he was dealing with those calf problems, and they cropped right back up Mm -hmm. as soon as he went up to Minnesota. So, again, it's not the Josh Donaldson show. There's a whole lot of talent up there in New York, and they have certainly done a nice job of hitting here in the early going to put themselves up atop Uh, the division in the American League East. And that's going to be a tough one. Um, The Baltimore Orioles and then the Boston Red Sox at the bottom of that division. The Red Sox off to an awful start this year. The Braves will see them this week after the off day on Monday. And if there's anything the Braves can do, it's just try to continue the miseries of the Boston Red Sox and win some games you're supposed to be winning. In the Central, I'll mention the Minnesota Twins and life after Josh Donaldson and how good did you expect them to be this year. I expect them to be a competitive club. I didn't know that I'd be looking, seeing them at the top of the division and the White Sox not only trying to catch up with the Twins, but the Sox trying to stay at or around 500 for most of this year. That's been a little bit of a surprise in a good way for the Twins and maybe a, hey, what's going on with the Chicago White Sox kind of way? Because I thought they would win the Central running away from the rest of the pack. Yeah, life's good for the Twins right now, right? I mean, Byron Buxton, you know, he's just been absolutely fantastic. You know, 211, way to run creative plus. They had a, a scare with him. Uh, come to find out he just has a low-level hip strain, so he's day-to-day. They got another scare with Carlos Correa. He does not have a fractured finger. He, you know, tweeted out the little prayer hands. So they get, he's getting some treatment, going to be uh, going from dry swings to hitting off a tee in his progression to get back. I mean, that's the thing with this team, right, is if Buxton stays healthy, the, I mean, it, it's, it's limitless possibilities. And, and I think you know, what they're able to do in that division – with him playing at an MVP level, I mean, it, it has a chance to be something you absolutely can't miss. And yeah, yeah the, the, the White Sox have been a disappointment, but I think the fact that the Twins have been this good this early, I think, has is, is been a lot of fun to watch. It has been, and Byron Buxton's a guy that I feel like, you know, I always hear this about Ozzie Albies, you know, pound for pound, this may be one of the best players in baseball. And, and some of that is tongue-in-cheek because, yeah, you know, he's not as big as some of these other guys, but when it comes to talent, he's real big on talent. I don't know if anybody has more talent you know, than Byron Buxton does. The results had not been there, and the injuries had been the big reason why. He's a platinum glove level outfielder, but the offense had never really seemed to get on track. But he has figured it all out and then some here over the past calendar year at the very least. And the Minnesota Twins have been a better baseball club because of that. So we'll see 
if he's able to continue this and hopefully stay on the field. That's been the biggest question mark for Byron Buxton with the Twins. Cleveland Guardians sitting at a 500 record uh, as they are in third place in the division, just knocking right on the door of the White Sox and not that far off from the Minnesota Twins, who had a three-and-a-half game lead over the third-place Guardians, a three-game lead over the White Sox, and Minnesota won't be in action again until Tuesday. Royals under 500, Detroit well under 500, but I'd be remiss not to say that it's really special to see Miguel Cabrera's career kind of coming full circle with these milestone moments that he's had over the past couple of weeks, his 3,000th hit, his 600th double. I mean, he's joining some elite companies and or some elite clubs and has some elite company in reaching some of these milestones. And I think if there was any question whatsoever about one of the best right-handed hitters we've seen in this generation or just about any other, this is a guy who's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is now one of three players in history with 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, and 600 doubles, joining Albert Pujols and one Hank Aaron. So it's been yeah, you know, I mean, it's absolute first ballot. You know, it better be 100% when it comes time. You I hope. Mean, when he signed that contract extension with the Tigers that took him through age 43, people looked at it and said that that's going to be an albatross. The Tigers are going to end up eating money. They're going to ship him off to a, you know, a contender late in his career. And this is why you get the kind of contract for a guy like that, because you get to enjoy these moments. They're building a young team there. They've got a lot of fun young talent. Uh, but this this is why you do it for Tigers fans, so they get to sit back and watch Miguel Cabrera do his thing. And he has certainly done his thing over the last couple of decades. Remember him coming up as a, I believe he was a shortstop originally in the minor leagues. He ended up playing right field for the <laughs> Miami Marlins when they were the Florida Marlins yeah. and were beating the New York Yankees in a World Series that nobody expected them to be any part of. And his career has certainly taken him uh, down some great roads, offensively speaking. And I think it's going to end up with the road down to Cooperstown. As we look out in the American League West, it is the Astros and the Angels sitting atop that division. And I think it's great to see the Los Angeles Angels having the opportunity to be in position to go to the postseason. And we've said this time and time again over the what, the last six or seven years now. They have the best player in baseball, Mike Trout. Now maybe they have the best two players in baseball. They got Mike Trout, they got Shohei Otani. This is a club that belongs on a big stage. It's a club that spends money, but it's a club that has had a really hard time finding its way into October. They got Joe Madden skippering this club. He knows a thing or two about getting a club to October. Yes, yeah, serious star power, obviously, with Otani and Trout. But Trout and Taylor Ward, who has six homers and as many uh, as Trout in 91 plate appearances, gives the Angels the only teams with two players in the top five in war. So then, then you look at the pitching staff. Noah Syndergaard is going out there, and he's made four starts so far, a two six three ERA. I mean, he's been a fun story to watch go out there and you know and kind of recapture things. Patrick Sandoval has a one two nine ERA and four starts. That was the other question with this team: Did they have enough pitching beyond Shohei Otani? Mm-hmm. And, and they're showing early on that they do. Yeah, I think that they do. And, and Trout was going to have to get some people to step up and play around him. One guy is not going to get you into October as far as baseball is concerned. It just doesn't work that way. Taylor Ward's been a great story. Jared Walsh Mm -hmm. has been a a very good first baseman for them as well. And they've got some young players. I know Brandon Marsh is off to a pretty good start. And, oh, by the way, they went out and spent a whole bunch of money on Anthony Rendon a couple of years ago. They haven't really gotten a return on investment with him. But when they went out and signed him, I just kept thinking to myself, well, this is exactly what the Angels should do. They should go out and get more stars and put them with Mike Mm -hmm. Trout and spend the money because they're in Los Angeles and they've got an owner that will do it and get back into October. But it seems like every time they go out and spend money, it just doesn't work. Josh Hamilton didn't really work. Albert Pujols, that didn't really work. Rendon, the jury's kind of out. Justin Upton, that didn't work either. 
you just kind of have to wonder if they're going to sign the right guys at times. Syndergaard seems to be a pretty good one they pulled, and I don't think there's been any better signing for the Angels in the last, what, five years than Shohei Otani. I mean, it's it's generational talent, right? And they, they've got two of them right now, a guy who's doing things that no one's seen in, you know, 70 years uh, in terms of, you know, going back to, to Babe Ruth and a guy that could do what he can do in the mound and at the plate. And, you know, meanwhile, you, I mean, you look at the, the, the Mariners and the Astros mm-hmm. and you look a bit further down, there's so much fun young talent in this division. I, you're watching the Mariners last night, Julio Rodriguez just legging out a triple. You know, you look at the, the Astros, a team whose best offensive player right now is Carlos Correa's replacement in Jeremy Pena. There, I mean, it, it, as much as there is that real high-end star power in this division, I don't know it's one that maybe you know people in this market watch as much because of the late games and all that. you got to have, obviously, the MLB extra inning package to see a lot of those, but there's a lot of fun young talent in this division. Yeah, I mean, who thought you'd be talking about the Angels and that Taylor Ward would be one of the names yeah. that you'd be having to trumpet as, hey, you know, the Angels are good this year, and you know why? It's this Taylor Ward kid. I would have had Trout. I would have had Otani. Yeah. I might have had Rendon. I might have been talking a little bit, as I already did, about, hey, Joe Madden's got that group playing well. Hey, how about Noah Syndergaard's comeback? I would not have been talking about Taylor Ward. But this is what baseball gives us, is those surprise players and those you know, those stories throughout the course of a long season that really make it worth watching because it is a marathon. This is episodic television right. right here. If you like, you know, shows as opposed to, say, movies and you want as many episodes as you can get, baseball crams an awful lot of episodes into each and every one of its seasons. And as of right now, most of those episodes have gone pretty well for the Los Angeles Angels. Again, the Astros and Angels are fighting it out at the top of the division. The, uh, the Mariners, though, have struggled a bit this year. They do have some of those young stars. That Jared Kalnick has still not figured it out. I still feel like there is so much potential there for him to be a breakout player, too. Julio Rodriguez, I think, has some serious star power in billing. And if those two guys hit and some of the other players and some of the other moves that the Mariners have made to improve themselves, if that all pans out, this can be and will be, I think, an exciting club. Rangers spend a ton of money. Oakland did the opposite of that. They have spent less money than just about anybody, and that's the rest of this division. But there is a lot of talent and a lot of intrigue around the five teams in this division. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think when you look at the Mariners, I mean, Mitch Haniger, you know, comes back after missing 11 games. He injures uh, his right leg, fouling off a pitch. You know, but they've still got, you know, Eugenio Suarez has hit six home runs so far. The, the pieces that they brought in, I mean, they, they've got to get them all together at once, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Haniger's just not played. Um, you know, I think that's the big issue with them. The Rangers, though, what a big disappointment. I mean, they're one of, to me, they're one of the most disappointing teams in the league right now. Well, i got to think that when they went out and signed those big contracts to Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, they knew it was going to be more than one year to try to turn around the, the fortunes of this franchise. They just flat out need some more pitching. Around the American League, Yankees, Rays, Blue Jays, Orioles, and Red Sox, top to bottom in the AL East. It's the Twins, the White Sox, the Guardians, the Royals, and the Tigers in the Central Astros and Angels at the top, and then the Mariners, the Rangers, and the Oakland Athletics out in the West. Too early to talk about the wild card just yet. We'll get past Memorial Day. We'll get to that at some point. That's a tease. We'll pay off sometime in the next month. When we come back, though, we'll talk about the week to come for the Atlanta Braves right here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. place for all things MLB and our Braves. This is From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you here on a Sunday as we wrap up a week that was pretty good for the Atlanta Braves. We're going to take a look ahead to the week to come for the Braves, which they're hoping will be perhaps more than pretty good 
We'll try to manage those expectations, but the first club that's going to be coming in that the Braves are going to see this coming week is the Boston Red Sox, a team that if they had expectations for 2022, it would be safe to say, Corey, that they are well below what they were hoping for thus far this year. They've been inconsistent, they've been injured, and they simply have not been a factor in the American League East race that we were talking about not long ago. As we look into this series, the Braves are coming off having taken two out of three from the Brewers, one of the better clubs in the National League, and now we get back to the other side of this coin, which is every time the Braves match up with a team that they should be able to take a series from, and I know this is only two games, they need to take advantage of these spots on their schedule. The Red Sox is just the latest and greatest opportunity for the Braves to grab a couple of wins against a team that's really scuffling. Yeah, I mean, scuffling, I think, is the opportune term there, right? I mean, 10 games back in the division, a minus 23 run differential. I mean, they're 2-8 and eight over the last 10 games, and you just look at so much pieces of this offense that just aren't coming through. I mean, sure, Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Rafael Devers, those guys are all hitting above league average. But yeah. you go out as, as the Red Sox, and you spend $140 million on Trevor Story to have him yet to hit a home run, to have a 202 average and hit 60, a 68 way to run create a plus right now. Oof. That is not what you were looking for no. when you, a guy that you looked at as, as a long-term centerpiece offensively. And I, I almost wonder what story, and I know they got Bogarts. I mean, that's their guy there yeah. at shortstop. I don't know if the position change is that big of a deal for him or if it's the fact that, as many hitters do, you leave Colorado, which is a hitter's haven, and now you got to find a way to be a productive player outside of that. Is there a transition period there? Is it – I mean, Nolan Arenado did okay with the Cardinals last year. The power numbers were at least there, but we've been talking about power numbers being negatively affected this year well beyond Trevor's story. But quite simply, he has not been able to – give them anything close to what they're paying for him in terms of being an impact player. And now he has moved over to second base. I don't know if any or all of those things are kind of in play here. And then new team, new contract, heightened expectations. Maybe some of that is weighing on Trevor's story now as well. I mean, all I know is the K rates, the highest has been since his first year in the league. I mean, all the when you look at all of the expected numbers, they're all just bad. I mean, there's not really one thing that you can point at and say, okay, that's the thing that's really – bugging Trevor's story right now, whether it's it's position change or whether it's being in Boston now after spending his career in, in Colorado. It's just everything is down. And, and it's it's unfortunate, you know, because this is one of the when he was when he's in the top of his game, he's one of the the most exciting players in the league. And then you bring him into an offense that had the pieces that they have in place with JD Martinez, Bogarts, Devers, you know, and, and then on the other side of that Jackie Bradley Jr. has been bad too. I mean there's just there's just been so much just not working for this team. The pitching staff has been horrendous. I mean, and in totality, that offense right now, 28th in war. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it sets itself up well, though, for the Braves. If you want to ride momentum after a really big series, your first, uh, you know, over a team above 500 in the season, this is the kind of opportunity you look for. Yeah, you look up and down this club. I mean, you mentioned Trevor Story doesn't have a home run. Rafael Devers is leading their club with just four home runs to this point through 28 games. We talked about the fact that home runs are down across the league. Offenses and runs per game are down across the league as well. Bogarts and Devers both hitting great. Alex Verdugo, there's another guy they're expecting a lot out of this year. He's on basing under 250. He's under 600 on the OPS side as well. Bobby Dahlbeck's been a disappointment. Kike Hernandez is sub-200 this year. Jackie Bradley Jr. hitting around 200, but just with a handful of doubles and really nothing else. They don't really have any impact hitters beyond Devers and Bogarts, and Story was supposed to be a big part of, no pun intended, their story here this year and beyond. But some of these other players, I mean, you are getting a good amount from your DH and J.D. Martinez. Don't let me bury the lead there because, as we talked about, he's a guy that's finding his way on base just about every single night. But 
Otherwise, you've really only got about three, maybe four good hitters, and then the rest of the lineup is a big question. Does that sound like any other team that we've been talking about this year? <laughs> well, I mean, I like these pitching matchups then for the Braves. You know, you bring Kyle yeah. Wright out there for the the opener against Garrett Whitlock, and we know that Wright's obviously you know been on an absolute tear. Uh, and then you know Nathan Eovaldi against Ian Anderson in the second game of this series. So I, I really like these matchups for these Braves pitchers, and I think Wright's going to be uh, it's going to be a really good matchup for him when you talk about so many guys scuffling in this offense. Yeah, you look at what Garrett Whitlock has done thus far this year. He'll be making his fourth start, and or he'll yeah he'll be making his fourth start this year. A 1.25 ERA. 21 and two-thirds innings, 29 punch-outs, only four walks. So he's a guy that's pounding the strike zone and getting an awful lot of swing and miss. So that certainly could be a bit of a tough ride for the Braves, but how deep into the game will he go? Because he's also been a reliever at times. Meanwhile, uh, Nathan Eovaldi has been a, a pretty good arm for them for a number of different years this year. Uh, you know, he's got a sub-3 ERA, not much of a record, but 36 strikeouts, only six walks in 33 and two-thirds innings. So he is filling up the strike zone again, getting some swings and misses. And so you do have a couple of good pitching matchups. He'll be facing Ian Anderson, who I think after a couple of relatively rough ones and trying to find his way is starting to maybe feel a little bit more back to normal. But I would love to see a few more strikeouts for Ian Anderson. That's been the one thing that I feel like he's not gotten this year is enough swing and miss, and the walks may be a big reason why hitters aren't chasing as much on him because he hasn't been as consistent with throwing strikes. Yeah, I mean, he goes six innings against the Mets last time out with one strike. I mean, that's just not yeah. Ian Anderson. And, you know, I mean, I'll take the six innings. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. But it's you know it's, with him, too, I mean, it's like you're, you're looking at the you look at the postseason version of Ian Anderson. Mm-hmm. Can you get that in the regular season? Can you get that for a stretch in the regular season? I mean, you're talking about one of the, the historic – starts to a career when you talk about what he's been able to do in the postseason. It's just there's been moments of it in the regular season, but he hasn't been able to put those stretches together like he's able to in the postseason. The only other Braves pitcher I can think about that had that kind of success in the postseason was Steve Avery back in the early 90s. I mean, he was, but he was also doing it in the regular season as well. Avery was a guy going out there pitching seven, eight innings per night, 200-plus innings on the season, winning 18 games, then going into October at 21, 22 years old with ice water flowing through his brain or, or through his veins and just absolutely dealing for the Braves against the Pittsburgh Pirates in October in 91 and in 92. So that is a nice comp for Ian Anderson. I'd like him to have a little bit more staying power than Steve Avery did. Obviously, his career ended a lot sooner than we thought that it was going to, but There aren't many times, I say this, all of that to say this, every two or three decades that a pitcher shows up and has this kind of success, you'd like to see him really capitalize and have more of that success in the regular season. But I certainly appreciate what he's done on the big stage. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm nitpicking here, right? I mean, you're talking about a guy who's been as good as he's been at the age that he's been and been, again, historic in the postseason. I mean, this season, the, the changeup's been exactly what it's been in the past. I mean, it's got a 194 batting average. It's got a, a 40% whiff rate. Uh, you know, he just con- he continues to, to have that, uh, that pitch that's just, you know, nobody really has an answer for. But I, I think, I guess I just want to see somebody who has done what he's done in the postseason and be able to put that together for an entire 162. And all, you know, if he makes 30 plus starts, just do it for that duration and be able to take that next step. We've seen Max Freed do it. You know, we saw Freed in the second half last year, you know, lead the, the league in ERA and then go out in the postseason and get those big moments and then carry that in 
to 22. We've seen Ian Anderson do this so many times in the postseason, but can he put stretches together in the in the regular season? That's that's the next step in the career of evolution of Ian Anderson. It really is. The consistency is what you want to be able to find, and consistency can be pretty challenging. You want an example of that? Ask Kyle Wright, who's going to be starting in Game 1 against the Red Sox on Tuesday. We've talked a little bit about him, but not a ton. But, you know, for Kyle Wright, 3-1 and one heading into this start with a 174 ERA, if I told you that Kyle Wright was going to statistically be the guy that's kind of leading the Braves staff, all due respect to Max Fried, and I was also able to tell you that, hey, after all of the opportunities that he got, Kyle Wright has finally found it. If you're a Braves fan, you're going to be surprised and certainly thankful when you see the other question marks that the Braves have had in rotation, kind of unexpectedly so to some extent, Charlie Morton, who looked much better on Sunday against the Brewers. Hopefully that's a step in the right direction for Charlie. But for Kyle Wright, it's just continuing to do what he's done because he's had it some nights where it seems like everything's working, and then he's had those nights where maybe a couple of things aren't working. Maybe the command of the fastball is not there. He's made in-game adjustments, and I think he's pitched some of his best games when he's had to you know, work through and grind through and find success rather than just expecting to have his best stuff and that be enough. So he told me... You know, a lot of people pinpoint what he did in the World Series is that moment, you know, when he comes in in relief and a, in a, a base is loaded and he goes four and two-thirds innings mm-hmm. and, you know, ends up being this huge piece for them in route to winning the championship. They look at that moment. But he told me that it was when he got sent down in the middle mm-hmm. of last year that he decided to go back and watch tape. And when I say old tape, he went back and watched Vandy himself tape. from Vandy. He watched himself in his first year in the pros. And he said that was the last time that he really felt like himself on the mound. And what was he doing back then? He was largely riding his curveball and fastball. So he had worked on a slider in, in, early in his, in his pro career that was becoming a better weapon. Now he's throwing the curveball more than he's throwing any other pitch, and he said that is him. That, that's him getting back to what really works well for him. That thing's at 33% usage rate right now, a 186 batting average. That's Kyle Wright getting back to the Kyle Wright that he wants to be, and we're seeing it play out uh, every fifth day right now for the Braves. We really are, and it's one of the things that has helped the Braves. I know they're not where they want to be in the standings yet. They're not where they want to be records-wise, but think about where the Braves would be without Kyle Wright at this moment. I mean, potentially, if you're trying to audition more young arms, and, and this is no knock on the Bryce Elders and the Kyle Mullers and you know, Tuki Toussaint or whoever else that you want to look at that has gotten or could get or Tucker Davidson an opportunity at some point this year, imagine you were trying to find answers for two of those spots in rotation. This was the year that Kyle Wright needed to step up. We talked about this on Battery Power, our show on SB Nation. This is something that needed to happen for Kyle Wright. It was a make-or-break kind of year for him. It really was, and you know, I think because you had so many questions in those back end, and you still had, you know, pieces where if you don't, okay, if you've got two guys that you have to fill a spot for, you're probably going to have to go out and find some solution outside your organization because we've talked years about these waves of pitching, right? And they've had waves where it was, you know, the the guys, you know, with uh, you know, with Max Freed, and then before Mike, you know, and Mike, Mike Soroka, and you know, on and on and on, these different arms that they've had come through the system. You get to a point where the the waves start to get a little bit, you know, less substantial. The tide's and now, gone out. Yeah, and and once a guy comes up, they start to lose that prospect, you know, buzz and everybody. The, the, All the uh, luster, yeah, right? The, the, how many other teams are going to be interested in them once they've gotten a look at them? And I think that's you know ultimately Colby Allard when ends up what's in, ends up hurting him in the long term. And um, you know, you you can't live in that world for for that long to watch two guys try to develop during a 162-game season. So uh, this was really big for Wright to be able to hold one of those spots down and know that, okay, we can play around with that fifth spot. Maybe we get Spencer Strider in that opportunity. Maybe they end up going before the deadline and looking at an arm that's out there. There's going to be some out there for sure. Uh, But, you know, I think having that one 
question mark is a big step. And maybe Mike Soroka is the guy that gets to walk through that door in the second half and help the Braves out again. I know you can't necessarily hang all those expectations on him. It's been quite a while, and by the point that he gets back, it will have been two years since he has thrown a pitch in a Major League Baseball game, more than likely. So it's been a long time, a long road back for him, and that, of course, is quite a ways down the road for the Braves this season. However, again, Kyle Wright has stepped up in a big-time way. The Braves definitely needed him to do that. He'll be on the mound on Tuesday against the Boston Red Sox, who come to town for a brief two-game series as the Braves continue their eight-game homestand. It's a Tuesday night game and a Wednesday night game for Atlanta, then another off day on Thursday. So Monday and Thursday, which as Corey mentioned earlier in the show, allows the Braves to stick with their normal rotation, not need the fifth starter for a minute. And that means that when the Padres come to town, another good team from out west that the Braves have already seen in their trip out to Petco a couple of weeks ago, they will be able to line up Max Fried, Charlie Morton, and Kyle Wright to face a pretty tough Padres team that will be looking to come to Atlanta and just continue to build on what's been a pretty good start for them. Yeah, and, and you're looking at the potential of having Freed Darvish, uh, Charlie Morton, Sean Manaya, and right against Joe Musgrove. So those could be three really good pitching matchups uh, setting this up. So, you know, I mean, obviously the, the series that was out, you know, they played out in, in uh, San Diego, ended up on a split, uh, didn't go the way that the Braves wanted them to. They played, you know, a couple of really close games there in those losses. Uh, but, you know, this is an opportunity. They, they, I mean, the, the way that these three uh, arms are now rolling going into this series, you got to feel really good about that. No, you certainly do. you got the arms that you want against a very tough club that's going to be coming in over the weekend, but you've also got a couple of the arms that you want against a team that's struggling and that you want to find a way to grab a couple of wins. And if the Braves are able to win both games in this Red Sox series, that would get them back up to 500, a place they have been this year. <laughs> that's uh, not quite the news alert that it was a season ago, but you want to get there, stay there, go beyond there, and start climbing up the division standing. So the Red Sox for two, the Padres for three. That's what's ahead this week for the Atlanta Braves. And that will bring us to the conclusion of the first episode here on 92.9 The Game of From the Diamond. Corey, we have a lot of fun doing this over on Battery Power TV. Make sure you check that out over on YouTube. You can subscribe there. You can follow me on Twitter at Grant McCauley. Corey is on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. And we'll be coming at you each and every Sunday here on From the Diamond. Corey, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely, Grant. Thanks. All right. For Corey McCartney, for our producer, Dom Shirosky, I appreciate all of your help in this one as well. We look forward to jumping back in there on Sunday right here on 92.9 The Game for more From the Diamond. So until then, so long, everybody. <laughs>